Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus, Genesis, Exodus. We are kicking off a new series today called Types and Shadows, Types and Shadows. And before we get into the word, let me give you this quick heads up. We are prepared at the end of our time together to do spontaneous baptism spontaneous baptism. You say, Pastor, I didn't come prepared to be baptized. That's why it's called spontaneous. (laughs) You may not be ready, but we are ready for you. You say, I don't have any clothes. Guess what? We got that taken care of. We got clothes. We got towels. We've got outer garments. We've got undergarments. We've got hair dryers. Our team is prepared at all of our campuses to baptize at the end of service today. I believe that today, for some of you, is a day of destiny. Some of you are going to say yes to Jesus for the very first time, and your life is going to be completely transformed. Some of you have already said yes to the Lord, but you need to be updated in your faith. It's kind of like a library card that's expired. Come on, talk to me. Maybe you checked it out at one time, but maybe your life has drifted, and God's saying, today is the day to press reset. And so I'll give you some instruction at the end of our time together, but I believe that we're going to finish with a splash. Come on, pool party at HPC. Can you say, oh, yeah? I read this uh, recently. The pastor of a small country church He was retiring after 35 years of service. And so as he cleaned out his bedroom, they were moving and going to be closer to grandkids. As he cleaned out his bedroom, he found a small bowl with five eggs and $1,000 in it. Five eggs and $1,000. Baffled, he called his wife. He said, honey, what is this little basket under the bed? It's got five eggs and $1,000. She said, oh, I'm sorry. I must confess that every time you preach a bad sermon, I put an egg in the basket. He thought, well, that's not so bad. 35 years, only five eggs? He said, what's up with the $1,000? She says, every time I get a dozen, I sell them. (laughs) Rachel, don't get any ideas, baby. I'm going to do my best not to lay an egg today. <laughs> types and shadows. You say, Pastor, what do you mean when you, when you say types and shadows? These are, are images. These are pictures. These are even people in the Old Testament that point to Jesus. I want you to see. We're going to go through the Old Testament, and I want you to see it through a new lens today. I want you to see there are certain things that foreshadow the coming of Jesus. There are certain experiences and images in the Old Testament that point to Jesus who is to come. Now, some of these pictures are obvious. Some of them are a little obscure. But types and shadows. A type is, it comes from the Greek word typos, which means example. A type is a person in Scripture who's less than perfect, but he is a picture of Jesus, pointing people 
to Christ from the Old Testament to the New Testament, such as Joseph. Many of you are familiar with the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis, how he was, he was betrayed by his brothers. He was sold as a slave down into Egypt, but God exalted him and positioned him in a place of power and then used him to bring hope to his entire family. This is a picture of the journey of Christ. Joseph is a type of Jesus in the Bible. Now, a shadow is an event, an image, or any non-human figure that does the same thing. It points to Jesus. If you were to stand in front of a light, when light hits you, it casts a shadow. It's a reflection of you. That shadow is not you, but it's a reflection of you. And I love this series because it's going to give us an opportunity to look at some things in the Bible that are maybe very familiar. Maybe they're brand new to you, but it's going to show us how all of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, it points to Christ. I want you to know that you're a part of a church that is all about Jesus. We're not about celebrities here. We're not about personalities here. This is not a show. This is not a production. Man, we are all about the presence of the Lord. And, and when your life centers around Christ, then it's amazing how every area of life is blessed. The Bible, from cover to cover, speaks of Jesus. It points to Jesus. Every prayer, every principle, every precept, every prophetic word, every poem, every paragraph... You saw what I did right there? It all points to Jesus. Everything in this book. In fact, in the Gospel of John, the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you skip on down to verse 14, it says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I want you to know when you read your Bible, it's pointing to the person the presence and the power of Jesus. It starts with him and it ends with him. Can I have a good amen? In fact, the Old Testament is Jesus concealed, but the New Testament is Jesus revealed. There are hints, there are types and shadows all throughout the Old Testament. We read about the patriarchs of our faith. We read about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Today we're going to look at the life of Moses. But some of these heroes of the faith, they were looking and longing for the arrival of the Messiah. Thousands of years before Jesus stepped foot on this planet, their whole trajectory was pointing to the coming of the Lord Jesus. And now here we are in 2023, and we, we, don't, we don't necessarily look forward. We're looking back at Jesus' first arrival, but guess what? He's coming back again. And he's not coming the second time the way that he came the first time. The first time he came as a baby, the innocence and the tenderness and the vulnerability of a child, that's how he came. We celebrate that at Christmas. But when he comes the second time, he's coming in power. He's coming in authority. He's coming with the heavenly host, and he will set up his kingdom here on earth, and we will rule and reign with him. Oh, don't go, don't, you're getting me started already. Whew. Thank you, Jesus. Everything. Now, now consider this. There is, I know sometimes we shy away from the Old Testament. Sometimes it's hard to understand. It's different 
cultures and practices. And man, God almost seems angry in the Old Testament. It's brutal. It's bloody. And you, you see judgment and wrath. We, we feel very comfortable with the gospels. And you know, the, the, the person of Jesus is meek and mild and, and gentle. But I want you to know that God is not only merciful, but God is just. Uh, we, we can talk about the grace of God, but you, you can't really appreciate the grace of God apart from the wrath of God. God will judge us one day. We will stand before the Lord and we will be judged. I know we don't like, don't judge me, don't judge me. That preacher better not be judging me. Judge not lest you be judged. We throw that around all the time. But there's coming a day when you and I will stand before God Almighty. But the good news is the wrath that was supposed to be for you and me, the judgment that our sin deserves, Jesus paid the price on the cross. He took upon himself everything that you and I deserved. Today I want to talk to you about the shadow of salvation. We're going to keep it simple today. We're, we're going back to the basics. We're going to talk about the foundations of faith and what it means to be saved. If you have your Bibles, look at Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. Let me give you some context here before I read from this chapter. This is at a time in Hebrew history where they were in Egypt and they were slaves to Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the most powerful authoritarian in the known world at that time. The Bible says that the Hebrews multiplied so quickly and so Pharaoh felt threatened and he enslaved them. And, and the Egyptians were harsh taskmasters. For 400 years, they enslaved the Hebrews. In fact, uh, during that time, because they multiplied so quickly, Pharaoh was killing all of the, the Hebrew baby boys. Interesting, interesting that at the time of Moses, and very similar to the time of Jesus, King Herod did the same thing. Herod was trying to prevent the birth of Jesus. He felt threatened. Pharaoh was trying to prevent another birth. It was the birth of a man named Moses. When Moses was born, his mother could see there was a special grace upon his life. And so in spite of all the, 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 the mandates, the, the killing of these Hebrew boys, she, she hid him in a little basket and put him in the river. And, and Pharaoh's daughter discovers this innocent baby boy. He was a Hebrew and uh, she had compassion on him, so she took him as her own, and she raised him in the palace. She named him Moses, and Moses in the Hebrew literally means to be drawn out because she drew him out of water. The Bible says one day that Moses, 40 years later, he sees that a, an Egyptian is beating a, a Hebrew slave, and so Moses kills this Egyptian, buries the body in the sand, and then he runs for his life. He's living as a fugitive for 40 years in the desert until he has a burning bush experience. God shows up and gets his attention. I believe God's showing up today, and he's getting people's attention. God's speaking through this burning bush to Moses, saying, Moses, it's time to go back to Egypt. This is not just about your escape, but I want to use you to bring deliverance to my people. Moses goes back, and you know the story. God uses him in a powerful way. There are ten plagues that come against the Egyptians. And on that tenth and final plague, Pharaoh says, get out of here. 
Get, get, get out of here. I, I don't want to see you ever again. And so he releases the Hebrews into the wilderness to go worship their God. But notice what it says here in, in chapter 14, verse 10. Pharaoh has a change of mind. He lets these slaves go, and then he says, no, I want them back. As, the Pharaoh's appro- as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up, and they panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. I want to stop right here, and if you're taking notes and you have this on your app, you can see the study guide as we go through this lesson today. But the first thing I want you to see is this. There was literally no way out. The Hebrews were stuck like Chuck in between a rock and a hard place. You ever been there? You ever felt trapped? You ever felt like that after all of your decisions, you reached a dead end? You ever felt trapped in a toxic relationship? Oh, come on now. You ever felt like that you had exhausted every avenue and you had nowhere else to go? You didn't know where to turn or what to do. Some of you are here today and you're trapped in negative thinking. You're held hostage by things in your past. You you tried to fix it, but you, you made a bad situation worse, and you had nowhere else to go. This is the story of the Israelites. There was no way out. There was an impassable sea in front of them. There was an invincible army behind them, and they, the only thing they knew to do was to panic and complain. Moses, didn't we tell you we had it better back in Egypt? Now notice, when I read you those verses, I highlighted the word Egypt. The the Bible tells us that in this quick conversation of panic and fear, the Israelites pointed back to Egypt five times. They referred to Egypt again and again and again and again. You see, listen, they may have been out of Egypt, but Egypt was not yet out of them. You see, God was not just trying to deliver them from slavery. He was trying to bring them into a place of freedom and totally erase the memories of yesterday. They had no way out. Uh, I think about this. You know, this is the, 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 the story of the human condition. When we read about the Israelites in this particular passage, the Israelites represent you and me, okay? The Israelites were God's chosen people. For those of us who are serving God, loving God, we're chosen by God. He cares for us. When we read the Israelites' story, we can find ourselves in their journey. Now, when we see the Egyptians, we see Pharaoh and his army, that represents sin. Surrounded and enslaved by sin. The truth is, you and I were born with a sin nature. We are slaves to sin coming into this world. Our bent is to do wrong. You say, wait a second, I I thought we were good people who occasionally do bad things. (laughs) The truth is, we are bad people who occasionally do good things. You say, well, I'm not as bad as this sinner and that person and this. Listen, if you're not the worst sinner you know, (laughs) you don't know yourself very well. 
Man, we've got a problem. And guess what? We are helpless. Somebody say helpless. Man, when you're born into sin, there's nothing you can do to fix yourself. You cannot help yourself. And I wonder if God almost allows us to wrestle in our own humanity so that we will come to the end of ourselves. How many of you know that, that sometimes you don't realize God is all you need until he is all you have? Oh, come on, talk to me. Uh, sometimes we think, well, you know, uh, I need this, I need this, I need, and God will eliminate all the things we think we need until he is the only thing we have left. The Israelites had no other hope. There was no other direction. They were helpless, and they were ready to give up. You see, listen, sin wants you to think that there is no way out. Sin wants you to think that you are forever held hostage. You are trapped. This is how addiction works. Sometimes, whether it's addiction to drugs or alcohol or, or maybe it's sexual bondage, maybe it's a habit or a hang-up, sin wants you to think that there's no way out, that there's nothing you can do. And so you'll be just like the Israelites. You'll want to give up and go back. Listen, 400 years they had been slaves in Egypt, and they get a little taste of freedom, and it didn't taste like what they wanted it to, so they said, we had it better back in Egypt. Listen, don't let the enemy lie to you and say that your previous life was better. Sometimes you say yes to Jesus, and then you realize things are really hard. I mean, it's tough. And sometimes it's tough to make good decisions. Sometimes you'll say yes to the Lord and you'll lose some friends. You'll go through seasons of loneliness. Man, I thought I was having a good time when I was living in the world. And the enemy will say, go back to Egypt, go back to Egypt, go back to Egypt. And God's saying, no, I'm trying to set you free. I'm trying to move you forward in the promised land. Can I have a good amen? In our struggle, sometimes we want to give up and go back. You know, I, one thing I love about our church, sometimes I'll walk through the concourse in between services. I'll, I'll get a chance to talk to people. I've talked to many of you. You landed at HPC, and you were bruised, you were battered, you were broken, and you felt like there was no way out. And guess what? God brought you to a space and a place of hope and healing. And you realized, wait a second, I don't have to go back to the pain of my past. Come on. Some of you I've talked to, and may they say, Pastor, you know, when I, my first Sunday here, all I could do was cry. They tell me stories about how their spouse left them, or how they lost a child, or, or how they had to file for bankruptcy, or they felt like there was no way out, and God brought them here. Listen to what it says in verse 13. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. For the Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Oh, can somebody praise the Lord for that word today? This is a word for somebody. The Lord himself will fight for you. How many of you have ever been in an impossible situation? Some of you are in an impossible situation right now. Let me tell you, there are two ways to look at it. Impossible can be brutal, but it can be beautiful. 
There's a brutal side to impossibility because, man, you've reached the end of yourself. You're overwhelmed. You feel pressured, surrounded by darkness. Man, these are your most difficult moments because it's impossible. That's the brutal side of it. But then there's a beautiful side. You see, when we reach the end of ourselves, we tap into the beginning of who God is. Let me tell you something about what I've learned about Jesus. That when it comes to impossible, he does his best work. Can I tell you, as long as you got it, you don't even need Jesus. That tells me that Jesus doesn't even get involved until you reach impossibility. See, with man, it's impossible. But with God, what? All things are possible. I love this. God has a plan for your life. Maybe you're, you're stuck in an impossible situation. You've reached the dead end of your decisions, and Jesus says, now it's time for me. You see, the, the Israelites thought that they were doomed, but Jesus already knew. God knew what he was going to do. He, he already had planned. He, for, he, he, in his sovereignty, he hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he planned for this moment to display his glory. This is what I love about God, because sometimes he picks our worst moments. And he shows us the best of who he is. Somebody say, no way out. Say, number two, a way out of no way. Come on, check this out. God's going to make a way where there seems to be no way. Look at what it says, verse 21. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened a path through the waters with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. Now listen, don't zone out on this. We've, this is so familiar, you're going to miss the awe, the wonder, how spectacular this moment was. He turned the sea into dry ground. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. Now get a picture of the, how many of you would love to have been there that day. Now listen, now wait a second now. You wouldn't want the panic. You don't want the impossibility. You don't want Pharaoh and all those, the, the army coming down on you. But listen, the very supernatural that we believe God for, it takes place in the context of impossible. We want miracles, but yet we avoid the context in which a miracle takes place. Here's the miracle. We're now Moses. Now, again, get this. He has his staff. That staff, that stick, was the rod of God. It was a foreshadow of the cross of Jesus Christ. Notice, the only way those waters could part and they could be saved was when Moses stretched that staff out. Now, Moses stretched his staff, but it was God that parted the waters. This is how salvation works. The, 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 the totality of our salvation, it depends on everything that Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. We, we, the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. How many of you know we don't help God out? <laughs> it's a word called grace. Somebody say grace. Grace is God doing for them what they could never do for themselves. How many of you are thankful for the grace of God? Grace is God's strength, God's power, God's enabling coming to us. It's unmerited favor. It's not something that we deserve. How many know these Hebrews, they were complaining. 
They were criticizing. They wanted to go back. And God in his goodness. Oh, well, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. How many of you know that God blesses us not because we're good, but because he's good? That's what grace is. Grace is the goodness of God coming to you. Not because you've earned it or you deserved it, but God, out of his loving kindness, out of the richness of his mercy, says, I'm going to part these waters. Now listen, the waters, again, types and shadows. The waters, this Red Sea represented the shadow of death. Waters represented death. And when Moses stretched out that staff, that staff, it points thousands of years to the future, to a piece of wood that Jesus would lay his life down upon, doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Somebody say all. all. Notice what the scripture says. All have sinned. He didn't say, sometimes as, as people, as believers, as Christians, even pastors, we think, Y'all have sinned. Mm. It's all have sinned. It's all y'all. Right? Isn't that how we say it in South Louisiana? I'm not saying y'all have sinned. I'm saying we all, all y'all have sinned, myself included. Turn to your neighbor and say, you fall a little short. And tell them, I do too. That's why it's hard for me to criticize you when I got to look in the mirror every day. Man, I can't pull the speck out of your eye when I've got a whole log in my own. Come on, talk to me. Mm -mm 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 -mm. See, salvation is not by works, but it's by grace. How many of you are thankful? You just say, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. <laughs> I once was lost. But now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Come on, somebody. That has been the anthem of the church for a long time. And today, God wants to remind us that it's not your talent. It's not your strength. It's not your ability. Oh, but God says, I'm so good. I'm going to do for you. I'll part the waters. I'll make a way out of no way. You couldn't find the exit, the escape. You didn't know your next step. And you cry out to God, and he parts the waters, and you walk through. God does all the work. The Israelites simply had to, by faith, move forward. Ephesians 2, you know this scripture, Ephesians 2, 8, the Bible says, God saved you by his grace when you believe. We are saved by grace through faith. Now, notice what the scripture says, and you can't take credit for this. You can't take credit. You can't brag on where you are in Christ. If you're in Christ, you better brag on Jesus. Man, if it's works, then salvation is not a gift. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Wages is what you earn. Guess what? You and I, our works have created a sentence of death. But salvation comes to us by grace, through faith. So we can't brag. We can't take credit for it. The scripture says salvation is not a reward for the things that we've done, so none of us can boast. Come on, somebody say no way out. Say a way out of no way. Now say this, number three, the old is swept away. 
Look at what it says here. Verse 26, when all the Israelites had reached the other side. Oh, this is so good. This is, can you see? History tells us that maybe a million and a half, two million people made it through the Red Sea. God made a highway in the middle of an ocean. Watch what it says here. When all the Israelites had reached the other side, I'm telling you, you're going to get to the other side. Maybe you're looking at impossibility right now, but there's another side to this. God's going to make a way where there is no way. It says, when they'd reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, now raise your hand over the sea again. Then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and their chariots and charioteers. So as the sun began to rise, oh, I feel the sun is rising now. I feel some light is about to shine in people's lives today. As the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea. The water rushed back into its usual place. I like that. Because water has a usual place, but God does unusual things. Water went back into its usual place. The Egyptians, they tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. Then the waters returned and covered all the chariots and charioteers. The entire army of Pharaoh, of all the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. Listen, their enemies, boy, the Spirit of God is moving right now. Their enemies were washed away, ne never to be heard from again. Not a single trace. There were no enemy survivors. I want you to know when God sets people free, they're free indeed. Not just free in a moment, but free for a lifetime. Love what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 8, verse 12. He says, I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Beloved, hear me. God wants you to know that when he saves you, when he forgives you, when he sets you free, his work is complete. He can take not just the sin of your past, not just the guilt and the shame, but every stain that would remind you of yesterday. God says, I'm going to completely sweep that away. I remember years ago when the kids were small, Rachel was running an errand, and so she left me at home by myself with these little ones. And she gave me clear instructions. She said, keep your eye on Michaela. You better watch KK. She was little. I forget how old. Trevor wasn't even born yet. So I had two small ones at the house. Baby, I'm fine. Go do what you got to do. I got this. How many know? I don't got this. I think a game was on. I probably got a little distracted. I hear Alexa shouting from the other room, uh-oh, uh-oh. I'm like, oh yeah, I got kids I'm supposed to be watching. I ran into the, we had a little playroom. I ran into the room and there was little Michaela, not a stitch of clothes on. <laughs> Free indeed. Come on. She, she was going back to the Garden of Eden. I mean, took her diaper off, not a stitch of clothes. She had a permanent marker in her hand and she thought it was lipstick and she had just, I mean, not just on her face, all over her body all over the walls, all over the furniture. 
She looked at me and she said, Daddy, I pretty. I said, baby, I'm a dead man. <laughs> Permanent marker everywhere. Listen to me. There's not a sin, a stain, a permanent mark on your life that the forgiveness of God can't wash away totally and completely. No way out. A way out of no way. But then the old is swept away. This is, listen to me, this is what water baptism, this whole thing is about baptism. I want you to see this. Because when you are baptized, you're going into the water and it's saying, I identify, I know my sinfulness. I understand my helplessness. There's nothing that I can do to save myself. If water represents the shadow of death, you step in recognizing your humanity. But when you go under, this is the picture of the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died, they put him in a tomb. And guess what? All of hell celebrated because they thought it was over. Three days later, Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And when we come up out of the water, it's a picture. Old things have passed away. Come on, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, the Bible says. Old things are buried and gone, and God makes all things new. When you come up out of the water, God's saying, I'm making you brand new. This is an outward expression of an inward condition. God's saying, there's a way where there seems to be no way. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.